Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Nobody gets married with the intention of getting a divorce. People believe and hope for and they lived happily ever after. But based on the statistics, we know that that is certainly not true. In the late 1960s, country singer Tammy Wynette scored a major hit with her song... D-I-V-O-R-C-E. The song was also a bit controversial for the fact that divorce was a subject that was still spoken of in hushed whispers. Today, however, it seems that divorce is as commonplace as anything in our culture. But what about followers of Jesus? What should their approach to divorce be? Is divorce something that is ever allowed in the life of a Christian? Not what Clay says, not what Dr. Phil or Oprah or even your mother says. Ultimately, it is what God says on any subject of our life. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today, Pastor Clay returns to our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. It's a study through the book of Mark. The opening part of chapter 10 finds Jesus teaching on the subject of divorce. Pastor Clay started on this passage two months ago before his accident and is coming back to this very important passage. My sole intention is to take each of us from where we are to where God wants us to be. And sometimes that means opening up some old wounds. As Pastor Clay is going to explain, what Jesus has to say gives his followers a clear understanding of the priority of lasting marriages and the guidelines for divorce. Today, it seems that people divorce for almost any reason. But as we'll hear today, Jesus had a very different idea about divorce. Now here's Pastor Clay. If you've been part of regular cross-culture family, you know that we have been, uh, since the first Sunday in January, we've been working through the book of Mark in this series called Jesus, the Real Action Hero. I, I entitled it that, we entitled it that because that's, that's really the emphasis of Mark. Uh, Mark is the shortest of all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospel letters, and Mark tends to hit the highlights on the teachings, and he tends to really emphasize the action events. And if you've been with us in this series, you've seen uh, how this, this book will just move from one action event to the next action event, and it just moves on in, in really rapid succession. Now, I know the series hasn't moved on in rapid succession. Uh, we're, almost, uh, we're moving towards the latter part of 2014, and, uh, and we're still working at it, but, uh, but that's just the way it goes sometimes but as, you, as you look at the, the Word of God. But it, it, it is ironic to me that after two months of being gone, I come back today to the passage that I started two months ago in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. The only part, the only section in the book of Mark where Jesus deals with the subject matter of marriage and divorce. And I think it's ironic. The reason I say that's ironic is because, uh, as most of you probably, I'm sure, are aware, uh, this past late Friday afternoon, a, uh, a circuit court judge struck down North Carolina's understanding or definition of what marriage is, is between a, a, a man and a woman. I, I'm not going to you know, spend a lot of time on that today. I do, do have to talk about the, the prohibitions and rehash those in just a second. But, but I, I just, it just seems ironic that now, uh, two months later, what I began, and, and if you were here, I'm sure it's, you have 
vivid memories of that sermon from two months ago. Um, I, I, I went through half of it and I had to stop because time-wise and was going to pick it up when I came back. It just so happens that it is two months later. Did you know that a divorce occurs every 36 seconds in this country? That, that averages out to about 2,400 divorces a day. Every 36 seconds, somebody gets divorced in America. That's not the worldwide number, that's just in America. Now, I think I mentioned this two months ago, and I say it again, I still believe this. I still believe that nobody gets married with the intention of getting a divorce. I still think that people believe and hope for, and they lived happily ever after, ending uh, of their story. That they marry with, with all intentions and, and all hopes of, that, that their marriage is going to be successful, that they're going to stay in love, and that they're going to, it's just, that they know not going to, that there's going to be times where it's not perfect, and they're going to have their disagreements, but that marriage is going to be lasting and, and go on for the rest of their lives. But based on the statistics, we know that that is certainly not true. Today's message, as we look at the text, uh, will not always be easy for all of you to hear. Because I know, statistically speaking, I know within this room, there are a number of you who have experienced the pain, and I think that's a good way to describe it, who have experienced the pain of divorce. Either you've been divorced yourself, or perhaps you, you married someone who'd been divorced, or perhaps you have a close family member who's been divorced. And there is real pain associated with, with that act. My intention is not to drum up old pains, although I know that it probably will. It is not to, to point fingers or make people feel better or make people feel worse. My, my sole intention hopefully every time I preach the Word of God, is to take each of us from where we are to where God wants us to be. And sometimes that means opening up some old wounds and looking at some areas where maybe I missed God's Word. So I know for some of you here, that this part of this message will perhaps not be easy to hear. I, I encourage you to just, to just stick with me and not throw tomatoes or cans or anything like that. But I also know that within this room are a, a number of people, and listening to this message will be a number of people, who are not married, but who will perhaps someday marry. I look at a lot of teenagers over here, single adults, and it's very important that we understand what God's Word actually says. Sure, we get advice from our parents and our friends and Dr. Phil and and everybody else, but, but ultimately, it's, it's what God says in his word, that if, if, I'm, if I'm his follower, John talked about that today, this gift of being a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, ultimately, if I, if I have claimed his name, if I've said Christ is my savior, I've uh, been adopted into the family of God, and I'm going to go with him in my life, if that's, if that's the case with you, and, and I would pray that it is, I'd pray there'd be people who would be contemplating that, or thinking about that, or moving towards that process, but it is, if it is the case that you know Christ as your personal Savior, then your number one question always should be, what does God want me to know? It's, a, it's two sides of the same coin, it sounds like two, but what does God want me to know, and what does it mean for my life? That's what we should be asking. All right, we are uh, in Mark chapter 10. 
would encourage you to open your Bibles if you brought a copy of God's Word with you uh, in whatever shape, form, or fashion. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. You guys still with me? Listen. It's not what Clay says, not what Dr. Phil or Oprah or, or even your mother says. No offense, mom. Ultimately, it's what God says on any subject of our lives. So, uh, John and, and Ivy, as they continued their, uh, and Bill, as they continued their parts of the uh, preaching responsibilities while I was out, I know they continued on in, in Mark, and we will pick up where they left off next week. But today, we come back to Mark chapter 10, and what may be a very important passage for a lot of people in this room. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus testing him and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Watch this. this. This shocked them. I can tell you that. But Jesus said to them, Because your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Father, in the name of Jesus, uh, we are allowed to come into your presence, uh, not in the name of any one of us, not in the name of our own strength, our own power, our own good works, but only in the name of Jesus. It is at the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God, that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And today, uh, I want to just publicly acknowledge that and thank you for the privilege of being called a child of God. Today, as we explore uh, this, uh, this very painful but very pertinent subject, I ask that your anointing would be upon me, your messenger boy, that I would speak truth. Uh, that's all I want to do, Lord, is speak truth, the truth of your word, into the hearts of your people. So I pray that ears and hearts and spirits would be open and receptive, that we would not be defensive, uh, that we would not be deflective, uh, that we would not be... Uh, excusing, but that we would just hear. Here's what your word says. What does that mean for my life? Some people in here are married, and their marriage is, is fantastic, and it's going well. Some people in here are married, and their marriage is difficult, it's hard, it's trying, and perhaps at times it's, it's been on the brink of breakup. Some people in this room have known the pain of divorce. Perhaps they've remarried. Perhaps they're still living single, but they know the reality of that pain for whatever the reason would be, and we'll talk about that, Father, I know. 
And then some people in here in this room uh, are not married, but they wish to be married, and the day will come when they'll, they'll marry. The teenagers in this room, the young adults, uh, those uh, perhaps uh, in, in a point in our life where we desire to have a, another person to spend our lives with, whatever the case is, we ask that your truth would penetrate our hearts and that then we would respond accordingly. If I, I mean it for my own life as much as anybody else. The ultimate question I need to be asking is what, does, what do you say? What does God's word say? And then what does that mean for my life? If I'm going to be your follower, <laughs> I've got to follow you. That seems rather simplistic, but it's amazing in, in my flesh how easily I can get away from that truth. I can know your truth, but then I can go in a different direction. So help us today just to know your truth and then apply it to our lives. And we'll be quick to give you all praise and honor and glory for whatever you do in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, real quick, because uh, I really don't want to spend too much time on it this morning, but I, I do want to briefly uh, bring up what I said uh, two months ago. And I want to start with this, this idea this morning. The first thing that I said, and this was two months ago, and you've already got this filled in on your outline if you happen to take uh, notes, but uh, let's talk about God's intentions. Based on that passage in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, uh, and, and by the way, I encourage you if, you, if you weren't here, if you haven't heard that message, you can go back in and search uh, through uh, iTunes, search through our, our own website, uh, go back about two months, uh, I forget the exact date, but you can find part one of this message where I go into a lot more detail on these first two points that I'm going to say today. But based on Mark chapter 10, verse 1 through 12, God's intentions are very clear, and they, and they simply are this. It is one man and one woman, one lifetime. Uh, it, it really couldn't be any clearer than, uh, than what Jesus uh, said there to them. One man, one woman, one lifetime. Now, as I said, I know doesn't, in the culture in which we live today, it doesn't always turn out that way. One divorce every 36 seconds. But we have to at least begin with an understanding of what God's intentions are. Would you agree? Whether, whether we meet those uh, in, in, intentions, whether we come short of them, whether we're struggling with them, whether we have to at least begin with, based on what we just read there in Mark chapter 10, that it is God's intention that marriage be one man, one woman for one lifetime. Okay? That's, that's God's intentions. Now, uh, let's look at the second idea that we looked at a couple months ago, and that is based on what Jesus has to say there, what are God's prohibitions? And, and there are some there. They are certainly, uh, if not stated uh, plainly, they are certainly implied in the text. Um, and the first one, this, this brings us back to, just briefly, to what I talked about earlier, but uh, based on what Jesus said, the first prohibition is this. Uh, homosexual marriage is prohibited. By God. And listen, I don't, I don't want to, please, don't, don't amen me here. Don't, you know, that, it's not what this is about. You can amen me later. But, because uh, this is not about, you know, oh, us heterosexuals are better than those homosexuals. No, this is about what God's word says. And as I said earlier, understanding if, if, if I'm his follower, and this is what he says, that that has to be my position. Whether I understand it all or whether I have sympathy for other people or, or whatever, uh, based on what Jesus said in, in the text there, Jesus makes it clear, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Do you notice how Jesus draws that out? And he does so in the context of talking about what? Marriage. Remember? That's, that they bring it to him and they said, hey, uh, uh, can a man divorce his wife? So the, the overall context is marriage, obviously divorce as well. But Jesus goes into this explanation 
and, uh, and gives them a whole lot more than they're expecting. But he says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So he draws these very clear distinctions between the sexes within the context of marriage. And so it is God's intention that marriage be between a man and a woman. Now, let me say this. Uh, especially in light of, of this past weekend, which, which you, we had to assume was coming and, and that sort of thing, the, the challenge to us as a church is to, be, is to say, okay, uh, how do we uh, clearly communicate God's word to whoever would be willing to hear it and listen, but do so in a way that helps people understand that we are no better than anybody else, that we are fallen, saved by grace, just as every other person, and that God loves each of us uh, Without question, he loves us enough to send his son to die for us. Can I, can I just say this to you? And I, I really don't want to belabor the point, but I do want to say this. You do understand that people that uh, have a same-sex attraction, they're not faking that. You understand? Just to make heterosexual people mad. <laughs> I mean, they, they generally have uh, an attraction. Now, uh, several months ago, when some part of passage, I, I dealt some with this. There, there could be... A number of reasons why this attraction uh, developed in them. But, but all, all I want to say is you do understand this is actually how they, they feel. But hopefully you and I realize that feeling can be very deceptive in our lives. How many times have I heard someone say, well, I, 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 just, I just don't feel like I love my wife anymore. I, 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 love, I love my secretary. I do love my secretary. I'm sleeping with her. <laughs> it's my wife. It's my wife. Anyway, well, actually these days, uh, I'm sleep, sleeping in the lazy boy more than I'm sleeping. A bit. Anyway, I do digress. But all I'm saying to you is understand that, 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 that people have real feelings, and they feel very strongly. And, and what we have to say, and, not, and people just aren't going to agree. Not everybody's going to agree. Many people in the world say, today would say, well, I just think every person ought to be able to do what they want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Every person ought to be able to be free uh, to marry. We have to be willing somehow to, to display the love of Christ, but to also communicate the truth of Christ and say, well, I... In some way, to say, I understand what you're saying, I, I just have to make sure you understand that my convictions are, are based on God. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, and so I have to follow what he says. And clearly, God has, has communicated that, that marriage, uh, from its very beginning, is intended to be uh, between one man and one woman. The uh, second uh, prohibition is this. Plural marriage is prohibited, okay? No matter how many new TV shows come out about uh, these husbands with multiple wives it's just it's just Jesus again draws this out very clearly there in verses 7 and 8 but he says for this reason a man singular shall leave his father and mother and and the two shall become one flesh shall cleave unto his wife the two shall become one flesh they are no longer two but one God's intention is is very clear and it prohibits plural marriage it's not the five or six of us. It is the two of us. Okay, enough said about that. Really, right? Y'all okay with that one? Nobody in here is thinking about picking up an additional wife or anything? Okay, yeah. 
<laughs> okay. All right. Third prohibition. This is, ba- this is just, folks, this is just coming out of the text. He says, the third prohibition, uh, disposable marriage is prohibited. It, it, just, it just is. Uh, it's over and over again in the text, but specifically there in verse 9, part of what therefore God has joined together. This is, this, this is more than just, you know, a phys- this, there's a spiritual element to this, this, this gift of marriage that God has given. What God has joined together, let no man, let no person separate, which includes the two who are involved in the marriage. Okay? So that's God's intentions, and that's God's prohibitions. Now, let's get to uh, the two new aspects of this message today. Let's talk about God's exceptions. Are there exceptions to this idea that marriage is permanent, that I cannot ever divorce or remarry? That's, that's kind of the, getting to the crux of the, of the subject matter here today. Are there exceptions? Well, let me read verse 10 through 12 to you again. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again, about the, the whole thing that he, had, that he had said to the religious leaders when they asked him, hey, is it, is it lawful to divorce? In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Well, what does it sound like? It doesn't sound like there are any exceptions in there, does it? doesn't sound like uh, there's any wiggle room. It seems very clear what Jesus says. But here's what we always have to remember. And if you've been in this series or, you, or you've, you've been a part of my, my preaching model and followed it long, you know that this is true. That, that one of the things that we always do with Scripture is that we compare it with the rest of Scripture, Right? That's how you arrive at proper interpretation. And specifically, within the context of the Gospels, what are the Gospels? Come on, say it out loud. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That tells me you're awake because I can't see you much. What are the Gospels? Say them again. That's right. Those are called the Gospel letters, the good news letters. So specifically within the context of the Gospels, we have to compare what each of the gospel writers recorded about particular incidents within the life and ministry of Jesus. Sometimes there's no overlap, uh, particularly in the book of John. John just gives us a whole bunch of new information. He, he, he gives some of the same stories that the others do, but, but John gives a lot of new information. But within the other gospel writers, particularly Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, those are called the synoptic gospels because they share so much information uh, together, they, they tell a lot of the same stories, but they do so from each of their own perspective. Do you understand what I'm saying? The perspective of their life and, and who they are and, and all the things that make them up. That's how God designed it. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, each of them wrote and recorded what God laid on their hearts to record. Okay, so, in, again, in the Mark passage, and particularly in verses 11 and 12, where he gets to it, he says, And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. Period. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. 
That's, what, that's how Mark records that teaching of Jesus. The teaching, by the way, comes up as a result of the disciples coming to him in the house and saying, uh, oh, uh, hey, uh, Rabbi, could we get a little more clarification here? <laughs> because out there, uh, I mean, you, you, you just gave it, you just handed it, you just slammed the, the scribes when they said Moses issued a, a certificate of divorce. And you said, yeah, because of the hardness of your heart, he did that. Because you were throwing your wives out left and right over the, the silliest of reasons and leaving them destitute, leaving without any, any hope of their future. And so God ensured that, that with a certificate of divorce, they would at, le- at least could be married to another man and, and be able to, to live. And so they come inside and they say, listen, what, whoa, what, what all does that mean? And so Jesus, Jesus says, hey, and that's how Mark records it. Okay. The other gospel writer that also records the same teaching is Matthew. Matthew 19, here's what we find. And it's the same, you go back in the context, it's the same time, it's the same thing, the disciples came in, it's the same story. But here's what Matthew says. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, what is that next part? Say it. Except for immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Matthew adds what has come to be known as the pornea clause. That's, that's how scholars talk about it. It's the pornea clause. It, it, the, it, based on the Greek word pornea, uh, which means uh, sexual sin or, or fornication. Or it, it, it's, it's the Greek word which the New Testament was originally written in. It's the Greek word for sexual sin. So Matthew adds what has come to be known as the pornea clause. Now, I remind you of this, and I've said it before, it, it's, it's not that necessarily one writer is correct and another writer is incorrect. It's a matter of combining the Gospels together and coming up with the best account of what was being said or what was being taught. This is a source of controversy, this, this passage in Mark and in Matthew. This pornea clause is a source of controversy, has been for a number of years, because there are those who believe, and listen to me, this this may be a little technical, but stay with me. There are those who believe that the pornea clause was a later insertion. Do you understand what I'm saying? That the the writers, and back then there's no printing presses, the the scribes are hand copying every copy to distribute and all that kind of stuff, that at some point somebody added except for adultery. And there are people that believe that. I have pastor friends that hold to that conviction, and I respect them for holding that position. However, I do not believe that that is the case. I do not believe that it was a later insertion. And here's why I don't believe that it was later insertion. First, if you have been with us throughout this study of Mark, what have we seen over and over and over again? Mark always puts less than the other gospel writers put. He was always shortening, not not that it was wrong, but that's just the way the Holy Spirit inspired him. But Mark was always giving less, he's always giving less teaching. We've seen that over and over again when we compare it to Matthew or to Luke's account. Matthew or Luke invariably almost always give more detail of the teaching than, than Mark does. Remember, what's Mark's focus? The action. What is Jesus doing? What's he doing? Who's he healing? What great work is he doing? 
That's where Mark's focus always is. So, within the context of the gospel, it fits that Mark doesn't record or give as much information as Matthew does. Second, here's the other reason that I don't believe that it was a later insertion. It seems difficult to believe that the, the church, the, the church fathers, the scribes, whoever's recorded it, it seems difficult to believe that they would add in something that they knew would cause a controversy. Do, do you understand? Uh, in, in other words, if they, if they add in, except for adultery, they know they're creating a discrepancy between Matthew and Mark. And it seems very difficult, very hard to believe that the, that the early church leaders would intentionally create a controversy because there's a discrepancy in the text. It seems much more likely that each person wrote as they were led by the Holy Spirit and that a controversy simply arose out of the discrepancy. Because there is a discrepancy. Mark gives no exception, right? Matthew does. And so it is, it is my conviction based on what I believe God's Word says, that adultery is an exception to the no divorce and remarriage uh, teachings of, of Jesus. I do believe that adultery would be an exception to the no divorce and remarriage rule. Not everybody agrees with me on that. Some people believe if you do divorce... You can never remarry. You're not free to remarry. I, I just don't think that, that for me, as I look at the text and the context of the text, I don't think it's what God's Word is teaching. So adultery seems to be... There is a second, I believe, that there is a second exception uh, to the no divorce and remarriage rule. Uh, it requires that we go to another text, but since we are dealing with this subject matter, it seems appropriate to go to the other text. Again, not everybody would agree with me about this, but in, in my study of the Word of God, this is the conviction that I have come to uh, on this subject matter of divorce and remarriage. The passage takes place uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 7. Let me just kind of set the, set the table here. Um, by the way, so this second exception, some people disagree with this second exception because Jesus doesn't mention it here in Mark or Matthew. The, the second exception that I'm about to give you, you we, there was no other exception there, right? We didn't read it. And certainly Mark doesn't say it, and Matthew only mentions pornea, right? Okay, so some people say, well, Jesus doesn't mention it here, so there can't be another exception. To that, I would simply say this. Number one, all of God's word is all of God's word, Okay? This is, this is, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying the red letter words aren't any more valuable than the rest of the words contained within the word of God. That it's either all true or it's, it's not. Second, I would also say this. I don't believe Jesus mentions this second exception because there was no need to mention it at the time. The church had not been birthed yet and the second exception arises contextually out of what happens because of the birth of the church. Let, let me explain. I know I'm thoroughly complicating it. When the church is birthed, Jesus rises from the grave. He hangs out with, with hundreds of eyewitnesses on him. He eventually goes back to heaven. He gives the disciples the uh, command to, to birth the church for this, for this thing to start, to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's the birth of the church. Well, uh, the, 
the church is made up of who? That's right, people, us, you, me, individual persons make up, we are the church. The church is not a building, the church is not a, a steeple, the church is, in, in, its, in its truest sense, is not an organization, although I, I understand we function and operate in some sense like that, but the church, uh, the, uh, the ecclesia, the gathered ones, they're, they're each of us individuals. We are the body of Christ. Well, the, the decision to become a part of the body of Christ has always, listen to me, has always been an individual decision. You understand? I realize historically you can look at places where, where people tried to force people to become Christians. Nothing could be more unbiblical or ungodly. It's always been a decision that, that each person had to make for themselves to say, yes, I, I know I wasn't there and I don't understand it all, but I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God and that He died for my sins and I need His, His redemption in order to have the promise of heaven. I'm asking Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior and, to, and I'm going to follow Him in my life. That has always been an individual decision. In the early days of the church, men and women were making that decision. Uh, at times in unbelievable numbers, but men and women were making decision to come to Christ. But I think I could safely say this historically, uh, especially many women were making decision to come to Christ. Many of those individuals were married. And when they came into relationship with Jesus Christ, their spouse did not always share in their belief system. Do you understand? They, they, they didn't always share in their belief system. And because the decision to trust Christ often brings with it a radical departure from previous lifestyles, and because it brings with it this, this new purpose and this new intention, these new uh, goals and desires for life, because it does all of that, many spouses were saying, talk to the hand, I don't have anything to do with it. You're, you're, you're on your own. So in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is talking, really he's talking about marriage in general. He's talking about the responsibility of men and women to meet the physical, sexual needs of their spouse. I thought for sure somebody would amen that, but, he, but he's, he's talking about those things. But within that context, he also begins to talk about the fact that there are many people who have become unequally yoked. In other words, one of them has trusted Christ, the other has not. And Paul begins to talk about that. And Paul admonishes the believer in the marriage to stay in that marriage. He says, you stay in it, you work at it, you be the best example of Christ that you can possibly be to that person. In the hopes that God's Spirit would come upon that person and bring conviction and draw them to Him. And that your spouse would get saved as a result of that. So you stay in that marriage, he says. Some of you gathered here today, perhaps, are, are married to someone that does not share your spiritual beliefs. And I'm sure at times that is difficult for you. And I, I'm sure your heart yearns for your spouse to come to the, the conviction of their need for a Savior as well. Paul's word to you is the same as it was then. You stay in that marriage. You be the best. You're not perfect. You won't get it right all the time. But you be the best example of Jesus to your spouse that you possibly can be. I'll never forget, uh, and I've told some of you, some of you have heard this before, but uh, a number of years ago, uh, there was a, a young lady that was attending the church where I was pastoring, and she was a, a believer, she was a strong believer, uh, but she was married to a man who was not a believer. And, um, you know, she, 
she prayed for him and she, she did all those things that Paul talks about there in 1 Corinthians 7 to try and be an example to him. And, uh, but he, he just seemed very resistant to those things. He, he had a very strong uh, dependency on, on alcohol and, and, and other drugs and, and his life really was just spiraling out of control. Uh, but he came from a background. His, his parents were, uh, were what you might call intellectuals. They were highly educated. Uh, they taught at the university system. And, and uh, so spiritual things were things that were just never a part of their home. Uh, one, one day, one evening, uh, they called and asked me if I would come over uh, and share with the young man about Jesus. And so I went there, and I went to that home, and I, I went, and I was, like, and I knew, I was just prepared. I, I knew God was going to be working, and so I went in there, and I started to share with this young man all of these defenses, you know, and I, I love apologetics. I, I love to defend the faith, as, as, uh, as Peter says, and so I go in there, and I'm given all these reasons for arguments for the existence of God and, and arguments for the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and uh, evidences for the accuracy of the Word of God, and, and I've just got all these, you know, bullets. I'm ready to fire off. And, shoot. And, I, and I'm in the spiel, I'm just going at it. And all of a sudden, he just stops me. He says, I, I don't need to know all that stuff. I just need to know how I can get what she has. And he, says, and he says, all I know is, after all the hell I have put her through, for her to still have peace and contentment and joy in her life, and for her to still love me unconditionally, I, I got to have what she's got. And he invited Jesus Christ into his life. Yeah, amen. And it's awesome. And it's fantastic. But listen, it doesn't always end up that way. Sometimes, no matter the best efforts of that believing spouse, no matter how hard they work at it, no matter what they do, that unbelieving spouse simply wants nothing to do with with their faith in Jesus, and as an extension of that, then therefore nothing to do with them. And so husbands and wives, depending on which it was, they were, they, were just, they were just walking away or kicking out their spouse. So in that context, then Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 15, here's what he says, Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, he's talking about in the context of marriage, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So it is my conviction that abandonment is a second uh, exception to God's no divorce and remarriage rule. Now, again, I know not everyone agrees with me about that, and, and it's okay, perfectly okay, if people don't. But as I understand the teaching from what Paul says, and again, some people say, well, you might can divorce, but you can never remarry. I, I simply cannot see that based on what Paul says in those words when he says the believing spouse is no longer under bondage. That seems to say to me in the text that they are free then to move on with their life and to remarry. Okay, so... Those are the two, what I believe are the two and the only two exceptions that God's Word gives for the idea of divorce and remarriage. By the way, um, I should say this. A friend of mine had a guy say to him one time, and this was a friend of his. I didn't know the, that gentleman. 
this guy was involved in ministry, okay? He got into an, an affair, an adulterous relationship with, with someone else. And he came to his friend. His friend tried to talk to him about, dude, what, what are you doing? Here's what the guy claimed. He claimed that he now had the right to divorce his wife because the Bible lists adultery as a, as a justification for divorce. And since he had committed adultery, he now had justification to divorce his wife. I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> That's the technical term. He's an idiot. Uh, no. The offended party, the offended spouse, may have the right to divorce and, and, and remarry in, in, in God's timing should he open that door. But the one who has offended, the one who has committed this sin, the one who has committed adultery, listen to me, based on what God's word says, not on what Clay says or anybody, based on what God's word says, they will live their life in a state of adultery, a continual state of adultery, unless they come to the place of recognition of their sin, repentance, and return to God's standards for marriage. Also, when it comes to the abandonment exception, I had a lady come in my office one day who said to me that her, wife, her husband had emotionally abandoned her years ago, and so didn't she have the, have the right to divorce? Uh, no. Abandonment means exactly that. It means leave you, walk out on you, throw you out. But I do believe that those are the two exceptions. All right, real quickly, uh, before the rest of the time slips away, and we're getting there real quickly, but uh, those are the two exceptions that I believe God's Word teaches. Not that God ever necessarily wants divorce. I think we've established that fact. But He does seem to allow it in those two cases because it is the offending party that has broken the one flesh covenant by either committing adultery or abandoning their spouse. Okay, let me, let me get real quick and just cover these uh, in a brief amount of time. Let's talk about God's uh, expectations, okay? And, and I, could, I could talk about a lot of things probably, but based on the context of this passage, there's a few things that kind of came to mind that, that hopefully apply to almost everyone in this room. Let's start with this one. Here, let's talk about God's expectations. Here's the first one. Don't marry if you can handle it. All right, now listen to me. I am not anti-marriage. Marriage is a gift from God. It is to be enjoyed between those who are married. I'm just saying to you, based on what God's Word teaches, don't marry if you can handle it. That Matthew 19 passage, remember where, where, we looked, where Matthew added the pornea clause? Matthew adds more about that teaching, again, that Mark doesn't have. I want you to read this. Listen to me. You can read along. Matthew 19, verse 10 through 12. The disciples said to him, after Jesus explains all this stuff, the disciples said, well, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, well, it's better not to marry. Wow, if, this, if I, I can't divorce her, for it's just better not to marry. Now, they're probably expecting Jesus, now, guys, come on, you're getting carried away. No, what does he say? But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, the inability to, to bear uh, children. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. Yeah, that happened. And there are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs, watch this, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. 
And he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. So in other words, Jesus says that, that for you, if you don't have this deep compulsion, and there, there appears to be this, this gift that God gives to some people, not most people, not, but this uh, ability to be okay with not having to fulfill a sexual need in their life, not having this need to, to have this person in companionship, in close companionship. They still need friends. They still need, but th- that need to marry is something that they, they feel that strongly about. Or perhaps they feel a stronger pull toward the kingdom of God and the focus of the kingdom of God and the idea that, wow, if I don't marry, if I don't have a spouse that I'm responsible for, that I can focus that much more on the kingdom of God. Can you handle that? Apparently not. <laughs> but, listen, Paul picks up the same idea. Again, let's go back to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Well, look at what he says. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it's good for them if they remain even as I. Paul was single. He, he had this gift of singleness, if you want to call it that. And he said, listen, it, it's, it's good. Now, he, and he explains why. Look at verse 32 through 34. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are, what does it say? Divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Is Paul anti-marriage? No. Am I anti-marriage? No. Is Jesus anti-marriage? No. They're simply saying, though, if you happen to to have this this strong pull and that you're willing to make this sacrifice, say, you know what, the kingdom of God is the priority of my life, and if I don't marry, I'll be able to focus that much. If you can handle that, then, then fine. Handle it. Okay, we better move on quick. It's too, it's too silent. Don't marry if you can handle it. Second, here's the second one. Get married if you dare it. Listen, it is not, marriage is not easy, is it? Is there anybody in here who actually is married that, or has been married that thinks that marriage is easy? It is not. It is not. But if, if you... If you believe that God has created you to be married, you have this pull, this desire to spend your life with, with, a, with a fellow believer in, in, this, in this union of marriage, this gift, and it is that, this gift that God has given you, then by all means, listen to me, by all means, marry. It's fine. It's, it's not sin to marry, and, I, and that's not what I was trying to imply from the last expectation. It depends on each individual and what, how God has equipped us. But... Every person who marries, yeah, I got a little thing up on the screen I want you to see. Every person that marries needs to, needs to understand that marriage is a covenant commitment and not a conditional contract. Listen to me, young people, especially those of you who perhaps uh, have not been married, are not married, but believe that that day will come when you will get married. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and it is your intention to, marriage, you, to, to marry, you must Marry with the understanding that this is for the rest of my life. I've told people this for years. Two imperfect people living under the same roof is a formula for disaster. Hey, and it is. 
And were it not for the grace of God working in lives, I don't know how any marriage makes it. I, I really don't. So anybody that marries needs to marry soberly, thoughtfully, and with the intention that it's for the rest of your life. Okay, real quick. I, I know I need to bring this to a close, but I've got to get through these, these last couple of expectations. Third expectation, stay married even if you don't like it. That's, that's just the deal. God's word could not be clear. Barring the two exceptions that I did mention and that God does seem to allow for divorce and remarriage. But I would say even in those cases, each person needs to approach that situation thoughtfully, prayerfully, and attentive to what God wants for them to do in, in their life and in that marriage. But if you are married, stay married. Even if you don't like it. And you won't like it all the time. Who in here likes being married all the time? Never mind. Don't, don't. That's, I'm just saying, listen. For better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others so long as we both shall live. I'm afraid in the world in which we live, those words have become more of a tradition to be spoken at a ceremony rather than to be lived out in matrimony. But it is based on the truth of God's word. Listen, here's the problem. People get beat down, they get, they get wrung out, and, 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 they just, and they get this idea that they start thinking, oh, maybe you felt this way. Maybe, maybe this happened. Is there, I don't know. I can't take this anymore. There's got to be something better somewhere. I'll never forget this, this guy in a marriage class that I were leading a number of years ago. He was talking about the subject matter of people all, all, always thinking that, well, there's got to be something better out there than this situation that I'm in now. And I'll never forget this guy, and he could put it as only he put it. He said, yeah, he said, uh, lots of people think the grass is greener on the other side until they get over there and find out the grass is just growing on a septic tank. Listen, can I tell you this? If, if you are, you're divorced and you've been through divorce or whatever and you're going to begin to look for, for somebody new, can I tell you this? You got junk and you're going to carry your junk into that next relationship. And guess what they got? Say it. They got junk. And they're bringing their junk into the relationship. I, I'm just, listen, let me just put it this way. It's a lot better to fix it than to flee from it. And I, man, I know it's hard. Goodness gracious. I've been married 36 years, but it's worth it. You understand? It's worth it. It's worth it for that relationship, and it's worth it for honoring God. Okay, uh, one more, and, and this maybe in some sense is the hardest one of all. One more expectation that I'll mention this morning, and then we'll close. Here it is. If you divorce for non-biblical reasons, own it. I, I don't know the number of marriages that end in divorce because of non-biblical reasons. I gave what I believe are the two biblical reasons. I don't know how many marriages end in non uh, end in divorce for non-biblical reasons, but I know it happens. I, I've heard it in, in countless counseling sessions. Oh, we fell out of love. Well, we just, we just grew apart. We just, whatever the reasons are, you can, you can fill in the blank. Maybe you even know some of them. I understand that it, help, that, that it happens, but can I say this to you? God's word only gives two reasons, two exceptions for you to get out of a marriage. And if you did not divorce, if you've been through divorce, if you've been through the pain of divorce in this room and you did not divorce for one of those two reasons, all I'm saying to you is own it. Take responsibility for it. 
Well, it, well, it was 20 years ago. Well, it was five. I, it doesn't matter. This isn't, this isn't about this. This isn't about making you feel bad or making you feel guilty. This isn't about, this is about saying, God, here's what your word says. I can look back now and I can see I didn't divorce for those reasons. I, I, uh, I got tired of my spouse going out and partying. I, I didn't like the fact that they traveled, so I fell out of love. Whatever the reasons are, all I'm saying to you is that God is a God of grace and mercy and redemption and forgiveness, and to be in right standing with Him means owning our sin. And to be able to say, God, now, understanding what Your Word says, I, I, I can see I did not divorce for biblical reasons. Maybe, you've, maybe you're still single, maybe you moved on and remarried, but can you say, God... Would you forgive me for not doing it the way you said? God, would you help me to be the person that you want me to be, single or married? Would you help me to honor you in all of my relationships, including my marriage? Thanks, Pastor, for that important message. If you've experienced the pain of divorce, today's message may not have been an easy one to hear because of the memories that come when we discuss a subject that has caused great pain in our lives. As you heard Pastor Clay say today, the point of looking at the truth of God's Word is to make sure we are living exactly where God wants us. If we've messed up, we need to admit it and to look to God's standard for our lives. God does seem to allow for divorce in two cases adultery, and abandonment. Whether married or single, however, our goal should be to glorify God with our lives. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.